Kwe, everyone. Welcome to The Lead, where we discuss the news and events happening in the community of Gonwage. In this episode, we discuss the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, COVID-19 numbers in Gonwage, Warhawks Minor Baseball, and the Mohawk Miles. Eagle's Nest Convenience and LaFleur's Restaurant, located on Route 207. Eagle's Nest, open daily from 8 to 11. Pick up something fresh from their deli counter. Open 8 to 6 on weekdays and 10 to 5 on Saturdays. And while you're out, grab some takeout or call in for delivery at LaFleur's Restaurant. Open 11 to 7 from Sunday to Wednesday and 11 to 8 from Thursday to Saturday. All your needs in one convenient location. My name is Jordan Standup. I am the assistant editor here at Yuriwaze, and today I am joined by our publisher and editor, Greg Horn, as well as our contributing writer, Mark Lalone. So welcome in today, gentlemen. Good day. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we had We just got through a busy, busy September yet again, and I would like to start by talking about one of the uh, most important dates in September, and that would be September 30th. So on September 30th, of course, uh, community members of all ages and even outside of the community were wearing their orange shirts. We had some events happening in the community. We also had events happening in some of our uh, neighboring communities. So Greg, I would like to turn my attention to you and we could talk a little bit about uh, Orange Shirt Day. Orange Shirt Day has been marked as on September 30th since I believe 2013. Community has been observing that uh, that date since I, I, I believe from right from the start. The the backstory is that a woman by the name of Phyllis Webstad from uh, from British Columbia talked about her story uh, with residential school and how she went to on her first day of residential school she had a brand new orange shirt and she was very proud of it and she was very happy to be wearing it on her first day of school. And on her first day of school at residential school, the nuns uh, took that and all of her other clothes away from her and issued her a uniform. And uh, she never saw, saw that shirt again. And it was given to her by her grandmother. Uh, so it was, you know, it, it had a lasting effect. And when uh, I guess she was talking about her experiences and, and that came out and it resonated with a lot of people. And so so September 30th was uh, was designated as as orange shirt day to mark and honor the the survivors and those those who never came home from uh residential schools and and it's something that i i think that right across right across uh indian country really resonated and people really wanted to 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 mark this day and 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 you know every year uh here in kanawagi there's uh there's something that that's being done uh there's a there's a committee organizing committee that does something at the orville stand-up park uh in the green space there tobacco burning and some speeches and this year they they had a little bit of a different i guess tone for it they they wanted to uh have uh, the theme this year to be uh, a birthday party for residential school students who 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 didn't get to celebrate their birthdays while they were away in school so you know that was that was something that was i think very poignant and 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 really you know shown a light on on you know just some of the things that people take for granted and uh, not being able to to celebrate a birthday, you know, uh, for the whole time you're in school. So we had uh, celebrations, if you'd like to call it that, then in the community. And I know that there was also a lot happening outside of the community, specifically in uh, downtown Montreal. Later on that day, there was uh, some some gatherings in the city. Is there anything that you know about that? Well, uh, there was the Assembly of First Nations Quebec and Labrador and the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal held a, a vigil and 
a march uh, starting at Plastic Canada. And it was, a, uh, you know, our own uh, Yves Dion attended the, uh, the march. And there was thousands of people there. All, all clad in orange and and it was something that uh you know there was there was these types of activities across Canada in major cities uh because September 30th 2021 also marked the very first federal statutory holiday now known as the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation it was something that you you know we we seen across Canada where people non-indigenous people and people who who had no family or 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 and any real knowledge of of residential schools until re- more recent years right out there and supporting the uh, you know uh, our 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 people and 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 uh honoring those those who who went through the school and and those who didn't come back and we were all proudly wearing our orange shirts i now have an orange shirt thanks to you greg <laughs> thanks again for that but uh, we were all wearing our, our orange shirts very proudly on uh, september 30th mark i know you were in the office wearing your your orange shirt as well and greg i was just wondering what do you how do you feel about seeing all of the the support if you will this year from outside of the community from you know non-indigenous people wearing not only wearing their orange shirts, but, you know, really, really believing in it and the message behind it and the learning behind it. You know, I think it's great, you know, because these are things that we have been talking about for, for years, right? I mean, Orange Shirt Day is is now, uh, you know, eight years old, but these are, are things and the stories that our, our, our elders have, have told for, you know, generations about the, the, the atrocities that were, were inflicted upon them at residential school uh i think this year um finally hit home to a lot of non-indigenous people right you know when when the news start breaking in may june and july about the discoveries of unmarked graves at the sites of former residential schools uh starting with the the kamloops indian residential school in british columbia and then as more as schools started being searched and 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 looked at and, and finding more and now the numbers of, of graves are, are numbering in over 6,000 today. So, you know, that's, that's huge. And I think that now the, the average everyday Canadian is seeing that and saying, Oh, wow, this is, this, this is something that that's horrible that, that was committed in the name of, of, the, of the church and of the country. So, so, you know, we need to, to, to start looking at that and, and ways to support and try to make things better. And that's where we're at now. I think that, you know, honoring, participating in Orange Shirt Day or or uh, as federal government is now calling it, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is, is step one. And it needs to be carried out, I think, in, you know, more than just, you know, wearing an orange shirt on one day of the year. I think there needs to be some some concrete action by everyday average Canadians, right? And, and, and to learn about the the true history of Canada and not just what's in the the curriculum right and and that's where where i think reconciliation comes from in order to reconcile with the past and reconcile with with indigenous peoples canada as a government but also as canada's citizens have to know the history and know where they come from as a country and how they 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 achieved you know, this goal of, of becoming a, a unified country from coast to coast to coast, right? So that's, that's, it's huge. And, you know, the residential school system was a part of that. And, and the residential school system was a, bar, a part of 
assimilating indigenous people and taking people off their land and taking people off out of their communities and, and removing them from their culture, removing them from their language. And, and you know, that's, that's the legacy of, of the, of the residential school. And it's, you know, the, the guilt is on the church. Yes. But the guilt is also on the government and the, the country, the state today. So, so things need to be in order for reconciliation to happen. There needs to be more done and, and curriculum needs to change and, and, and this stuff needs to be taught in the classroom. You know, people are talking about, you know, how, how, how do we talk to our children about this? And, you know, I mean, what people need to remember is that these atrocities were committed against children. You know, this needs to be talked about and discussed, um, you know, in, 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 in every classroom across Canada. Absolutely, Greg. I agree. And Mark, uh, we were mentioning just a little earlier that you were wearing your your orange shirt also on September 30th. And you and I were talking about how uh, this has been a, a learning experience for you. And you've also had the opportunity to talk with your your children about the uh, the reasons behind orange shirt and different things like that. Yeah, my kids are uh, 16 and 12, and they're legitimately horrified that any Canadian could be taken from their home, sent to a school hundreds of miles away, stripped of their identity, stripped of their life, stripped of their language, stripped of their religion, stripped of all that makes them them. And uh, maybe they never come home. This was, it's a huge, I mean, we're talking about an issue that, that, that will end up affecting, I, I don't know how many. 150,000 Indigenous children were, were taken from their homes and sent to residential schools. And how many never came back, we don't know yet. Yeah. That's and that's and and that to me that's the biggest tragedy of all. Any any the residential school concept in and of itself is horrifying. But the fact that those kids never came home, the fact that those kids never came home, and, and and there's also the the other aspect is there's the the people who did come home, yeah, who didn't really come home, right? The, the, it not in any way that mattered, yeah, yeah. So and and there's also another issue is that there was entire communities that had no children for the the school year or for however long. You know how how empty that that must have felt for 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 these these communities, and then how do you cope with that? You know, there's no children around. There's no there's there, so that's that's a whole segment of your community that's gone, and then that, that you know that that turns into to substance abuse and other things, and you know, and and then the intergenerational trauma that's now now there, and because you know you have kids that are not that are in school being abused and and being beaten and, and everything. And they're, then when they become parents, they, they learn from their parents. They don't, they don't know how to parent, right? Because they didn't learn from their parents. And their parents don't know how to parent either because they were, they were removed from, their, their children were removed and, and put in, in residential schools. So it's, it, you know, it creates this cycle of, of you know, just a disconnect between parent and child. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, a it, it's a cycle of self abuse, Greg. As you say, it's it's a community bereft of children. The community doesn't know how to, you know, certain people. I, I know I if my kids were taken away from me, I don't know how I'd handle it. I I don't know what I would do. I honestly, I don't know that I'd be able to keep going, frankly. So, you know, being able to discuss this issue with my kids, being able to discuss this issue with other non Indigenous people such as myself only serves to be able to bring some attention to it. And as you say, Greg, I feel like the only way for people to really come to some level of truth and reconciliation would be for a, a, some sort of reckoning. And it has to hurt a little bit. It has to hurt. 
We, we say the words, uh, every child matters, and we need to remember those words every single day and just say those all the time, not just on September 30th, of course. And it would be almost impossible not to talk about COVID-19. So, Greg, I'll be uh, directing some of my attention uh, back to you. Uh, you were looking into some of the uh, Delta numbers recently and percentages, a little bit more specifically toward the younger children. Since mid-July, when... when the community entered the fourth wave. There is approximately 120 confirmed cases as of 5 p.m. on October 1st. Now, we don't know exactly how many of those cases are from the Delta variant, but it's believed that it's, it's a high number. It's a high percentage of, of those cases that are uh, of the Delta variant. Uh, from that, there's... So of, of the new cases, uh, 103 cases were, were unvaccinated, and I think 16 were vaccinated, either partially vaccinated or fully vaccinated. And of those cases from the, first, uh, the fourth wave, 45 are those in the age group of zero to, to nine years old. So those, those are, are people who, who have not had the opportunity to be vaccinated uh, at this point in time, and school year just started, so so we've returned to in class setting uh, for 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 school this year. So we're obviously going to see a little bit of a of, of an increase, but to see that forty five out of one twenty is uh, is children uh, in that age group is uh, is a little I think a little alarming, especially given uh, something that you've mentioned quite a few times already, Craig. Is that this there there is no they can't get vaccinated yet, as you were just mentioning. So it's the population or that that age group is, is going to be a concern moving forward. Yeah. And Pfizer has done tests on a reduced dose dosage for for children, I believe, five to five to 11. And it's showing that it's effective after two doses. And that data is supposed to be submitted to Health Canada in the coming days or weeks. and. It's, it looks like there's going to be an approval for Pfizer to be administered to kids of the, that age group, you know, maybe by the end of this year may, or early 2022. You know, it's, it's not set in stone just yet because the, the, the data hasn't, has not yet been sent to Health Canada. Moderna is also conducting its own studies on children that I think as young as six months old to 11 or 12 and, and, and looking at being able to administer it to those age groups too. Yeah, and you know, just I, I know it's still early, relatively early into the school year, but I have two kids in the school system, the local school system, and I know that the schools are doing a fantastic job of, with all the safety measures, but already I've been in a circumstance where I've had to, you know, stay at home a few days with, uh, you know, one of my children uh, being sick or, or both. So it's uh, the struggle, the struggle definitely continues, you know, as uh, we send our kids back out into the world, but then also at home. So we're reminding everybody to continue uh, following those safety measures and make sure you're staying as safe as possible. Yeah, for for sure. And I think there's another aspect too that we that that kind of emerged to in, in this past month. You know, regarding COVID nineteen, and and it's the you know the 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 proof of vaccination requirement for some non essential businesses and activities that are that are happening. Uh, you know, in Ganawage and outside of Ganawage and I think there's a difficult, I think, position that 
the community has been put in because of Quebec and, you know, with Quebec mandating that in, in order to get to restaurants, movies, concerts, bars, uh, a whole slew of things, um, hockey arenas and stuff like that, that you need, uh, you need to be fully vaccinated. And that act by Quebec has put Ganawage in a, in a very, between a rock and a hard place, right? Because throughout the pandemic, I think Ganawage has, has, uh, handled itself and made decisions that are best suited for the community and are have been different than than what Quebec has done, right? But in this instance, you know, it makes it, it puts us in a rock and a hard place because if we don't require as a community vaccine uh, proof of vaccine for for these uh, non essential activities, and the outside world knows about this, you know, the people who can't go to a restaurant in Montreal because they're not vaccinated or because they're anti-vaccine or, or, or whatever, whatever the case may be, you know, they, they could come to our restaurants and, and, and overrun them and, and make it difficult for community members to go to a restaurant in the community. So, you know, it's, 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 it becomes a very difficult position, right? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as the pandemic unfortunately continues, people will want to keep it locked to your DWSA for all of the latest information regarding COVID-19 and the Delta variant in our community. Jowardo Odu is um, a place where many of our community members will go to uh, relax or, you know, a lot of people have cabins up there. Some people are, are in Jowardo Odu for hunting. Unfortunately, in the month of September, there was a, a fatal incident that happened in uh, our, our sister community. Yeah, that was uh, a very sad and unfortunate event. You know, we, we got uh, a couple of reports that there was a hunting accident over in Jowardo Odu. Speaking with the peacekeepers, uh, you know, and, and and MCK, there's there was an investigation going on, and and it looks like, again, we don't know a lot of the details, but two two community members were up there hunting, and you know, and, and an unfortunate accident took place, and one of the one of them uh, was 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 shot, and unfortunately did not survive. The peacekeepers had asked that at the time, uh, people to avoid the area and. Hunting needed to be be ceased for for the period of their, their investigation. Mall Council Ganawagi also said, you know, it ended up extending that uh, for for a couple of days, uh, you know, just to, to, to I guess give people time to to, to grieve, right, and, and and you know, and and try to make sense some sense of this uh, very unfortunate tragedy. Hunting activities were allowed to resume, I think, by 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 Friday, and the incident happened on. Uh, a Tuesday afternoon. And, you know, again, it's just, you know, very, very sad. And of course we send our condolences out to all of the, uh, the family and friends and everybody involved in that uh, terrible circumstance. Moving along, we're talking a little bit more. We're, this actually takes me back a little bit to the summertime. And I, I just wonder if you guys are uh, getting a little bit of a uh, baseball v- fatigue because I know that you guys have been busy at uh, just about every ballpark in Ganawage and in the, the surrounding communities over the summer. But our U9 Warhawks Purple Girls were able to cap off an incredible season with a silver medal in the minor baseball playoffs. And Greg, I know you had the opportunity to check out a little bit of that championship tilt. Yeah, uh, I stopped in for, for a bit. It was a busy Saturday morning. Uh, I was there for, I think, uh, about an hour or so. Uh, and, and the girls that, uh, they played very well against a very strong team from, I believe, Pierrefonds. And, uh, unfortunately they didn't, 
they didn't win the 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 championship game, but I mean, you you got a team from from Ganawaga that that there's a lot of first year players. Uh, you know, again, baseball is one of those things, one of those sports that, due to the pandemic, uh, has seen an increase because it was one of the only sports that was allowed to allowed to happen last year and this year. So you know, the, the, seeing this uh, the the U nine uh, squad, uh, you know, coming second was 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 phenomenal. You know, to, to go and watch that team play is uh, is something else because one of the coaches is a, is a first language Mohawk speaker. Uh, another one of the coaches is a, is a Mohawk teacher, and they've been incorporating Ganyageha uh, into the the game. And you know, they're you know the the kids are uh, are all yelling at each other and uh, encouraging each other in Mohawk. And uh, you know, it's just really something that that's really nice to see. And not to be outdone, the U-12 Mohawks girls also went on to win a silver medal in soccer. They were in, they were battling it out in Valley Field, I believe, just a few weekends back. Yeah, that was uh, that was a really good game. Uh, they were down, uh, I believe, two nothing, uh, and then came back. You know, they they, they made it uh, by the by halftime. I think they they made it uh, two to one, and then in the in in the second half, I think near near the end of it, they 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 managed to tie it up two uh, two, but it, I think it was in the last minute or so, one of the girls took a penalty inside the 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 box in front of the in front of the net, uh, and was uh, the other team was awarded penalty kick, and they unfortunately they scored on the penalty penalty kick and uh, won the game three to two. We have to give a shout out to the coaching staff of the U12 Mohawks, Harry Rice and Dega Daibo. They were uh, throughout the season, just everything that they're doing for their team and the commitment that they show to these girls. And we've spoken to Harry in the days after and even leading up to this game. And Harry is just so passionate about the game, about his team and everything like that. And he was encouraging community members who were planning on to go watch the game to to wear orange because I know he had the uh, Every Child Matters um flag hanging out behind his uh, team's bench on the fence. Yeah, and one of the interesting things is that uh, soccer this year got got a late start. And it had gotten and Harry talked about this a couple times. Uh you know, when when it got started and they were getting the, ready for the season, that's when the the, the discovery at the Kamloops and the residential school was just uh you know, making its 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 rounds and and the girls on the team said, "Okay, well, we're, if we're getting new uniforms, can we make them them orange? So and, and have the Every Child uh, Matters uh, slogan on there because we want to raise awareness to everybody we're playing against uh, about this." And so, yeah, the girls all had their uh, throughout the season played with the, their orange shirts, and you know, like they and they all had I think orange ribbons in their hair and and and, and things like that uh, for the, the championship game, and you know, they really represented the community very very well yeah a nice interesting uh side note to that story greg is when we were talking to harry following the game is that he mentioned putting or hanging a few jerseys from uh, older uh, gunawage soccer clubs on the fence and a couple of his players had asked what the significance was of that and he said that those represent the children that didn't have the opportunity to play the game so i thought that was a very very powerful uh message for for harry to send to his team Tell his team that look, this is a game, but the fact that you guys are here playing right now is is a blessing in itself. Oh yeah, for sure. And that that's you know taking this the news that was going on in in, in the world, right, and making a teachable moment and providing the these these young girls 
with the knowledge to be able to, 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 to help teach the teams they're playing against as well. And sticking with our uh, sports theme, rather, Mark, um, the Mohawk Miles this year was held at night. And I know that you reported a little bit on that earlier this month also. Yeah, what a cool program. I, I just, uh, this is my first year being exposed to the Mohawk Miles, and I think it's just one of the greatest things on the planet. I mean, a community-wide, you know, community-based uh, celebration of physical fitness and celebration of physical endurance you had run walks one, three, five, and ten. Excuse me, one point six, three, five, and ten. A lot of fun. And at night, so you had everybody lit up, glow sticks, uh, music going. You know, felt like a rock concert. And um, I, I really, really on board with this because, like, I'm, I'm as you guys know, I'm a huge, uh, I'm huge into physical fitness and no way and strength. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I'm aware. The, this, the, this concept of of, of, of Mohawk Miles, you know, of the whole community coming together to celebrate the value of physical fitness. Um, I think it's remarkable. I think it's a remarkable story. And I think everybody should participate, whether you can walk, run, crawl, wheel. I think you should be there. And next year, I'm, I'm hoping to attend. 187 community members participated in the Mohawk Miles this year. That's the final count from the Kanawage Youth Center. So lots of fun at the Mohawk Miles, as you were mentioning, Greg, I know you were, I had the opportunity to grab a couple of photos and get some video and fun things like that. What was the atmosphere like? It was just, I think everybody was just really happy. Uh, you know, last year the Mohawk Miles was held virtually where, where people weren't able to gather and, 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 and participate in this way. So it was really the first time in two years that they've been able to do Mohawk Miles in, in a more normal sense. They had groups of, of 50 uh, going out any more than that, and then uh, then uh, vaccine passport requirements are are required. Um, but everybody was just really like just happy to be there and uh, look like having a lot of fun. And uh, you know, again, uh, as it as it started getting darker uh, with the 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 lights and uh, and the neon clothing and everything, it was just uh, it, it was just a fun atmosphere. It's been over a year since the passing of Joyce Eshaquan. And a lot of people are wondering what exactly has happened since then. Well, the concrete answer is not a lot. In, in fact, next to nothing, really. If we're, if we're being very frank about it, governments at the federal level and the provincial level have paid lip service to doing something about the problem about, of, of Indigenous folks being mistreated by Quebec healthcare workers. And uh, we seem to be at a disconnect because... The, the 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 provincial government led by Francois Legault has said there is no there are no instances of systemic racism within the Quebec healthcare community, but or within the government at or all. within the government at all. Or but anybody who has been to a healthcare institution knows that's not the reality and not 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 there's no basis in reality for that. If you are going to a Quebec healthcare institution and you're Indigenous, there are some places you avoid. And that's simply a fact of life. And that is really, that's wrong. It's wrong. And so the, the, the coroner who, the, there was a coroner's inquest this summer on Eshaquan's, uh, on Esha, Joyce Eshaquan's death. Uh, the report dropped Friday. And um, there will be a press conference this week. Uh, the government will, will comment further. And, and Gan Kamel, the, the coroner, will comment further. But essentially her report said this was a preventable death. And while accidental, it was 
it was exacerbated, the situation was exacerbated by uh, racism and systemic racism, and that the government needs to admit there's a problem before they can fix it. Everybody seems to agree, but the government that there's a problem, and yet we are unable to fix it. So Francois Legault will comment, and I believe that's going to be that. That'll be, have to be the first domino to fall in, in, in any campaign for the Quebec government to enact some sort of level of reconciliation. The federal government has made some lip service attempts. The provincial government has done next to nothing with, with the exception of the appointment of two community liaisons at the Joliet Hospital to be filled by members of the Manawan community, uh, of which Joyce Eshikon was a member. And, and those two community liaisons are responsible for helping ease the transition of Indigenous patients at that hospital. That being said, that's literally two jobs that have been created in Quebec in a year. Two. Would Quebec just consistently, or, or Legault's government, consistently denying the existence of systemic racism is, you know, it, it's a joke. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, the treatment of Joyce Echequan as, as one example, and that's, that's had the worst possible outcome. But Quebec also not making uh, September 30th a, a statutory holiday like the federal government has done is another example. And, and last week, Quebec Premier Francois Legault had said that, well, we're not making it a, a statutory holiday because we need productivity. Uh, you know, saying, you know, basically saying, well, we need to keep things open because, you know, we don't, this isn't a holiday for us. And, 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 but that opens the door to, well, why, why, why does Quebec celebrate other statutory holidays? And, uh, when, when, when it could use productivity on those days as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agreed. And to, uh, further muddy the waters in terms of how Quebec sees September 30th, we were just talking in the office about last week about Howard S. Billings high school, sent some emails home to Gunnawage parents who, whose kids go to that school saying, uh, make sure to send your kids to school on September 30th because that's the day that the Quebec government counts every student in terms of uh, how they fund the school boards and the individual educational institutions, which, as we discussed, is tone deaf at best and, and, and downright sinister at worst. I think that's the word we used. And um, frankly, it, it, it does, it, it, it reeks of, on one hand, oh, well, you know, Oh yeah, indigenous people are important. We indigenous people are important, but the one day we have set aside for indigenous people, make sure you don't celebrate it. Like that's a huge disconnect. That's a giant disconnect. Yeah, and and again, it needs to be pointed out that it's not just Billings. It's it's the the Quebec Education Ministry as a whole. Yeah. As a whole, yeah. Mm -hmm. And 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 Billings is is you know, in this instance was was like, okay, we need to send out this message to our to our parents because in case they're missing, but I also gave the opportunity saying, if your child isn't here, there's some forms that need to be sent home and need to be filled out for them. Right. So, you know, again, it's, it's not billings no, no, per it's, se. We're not, we're not, I, and don't get me wrong. I'm not coming down on billings here. I'm coming down on the notion that September 30th has to be the day we count all students. Why can't it be September 27th? Why can't it be October 3rd? Why can't it be September 20th? This arbitrary date, it, it could easily just be moved one day in order to accommodate September 30th. This is, it's a real easy get. Yeah. But it, it, they, they won't, it, the, the education ministry won't even lift a single finger to, to acknowledge this massive date. 
You know, I got to be quick to point out that this is only just scratching the surface in terms of news and events that have happened in and around our community throughout the month of September. We could go on and on and on. But with that being said, I'm just wondering what you guys might be looking forward to either covering or just, you know, maybe doing something in your personal time during the month of October. That is a great question. October is a one, maybe my favorite month of the year because I'm a sports guy. You got the NHL, you've got the NBA. You've got um, the the CFL and the NFL in full swing, and Major League Baseball is wrapping up its season. So there's all kinds of fun things to watch. There's all kinds of fun um, pop culture things on the way. But what I'm looking forward to most between you, me, and all of our listeners is I'm really looking forward to spending the month of October. You know, it's it's a great month to be outside. So I'm gonna get out with my kids uh, once every weekend. And we always do some sort of major outdoor activity, like a hike. We'll go apple picking. We'll go, you know, down, we'll drive down to old Montreal or we'll drive up to Morigo. Uh, and we will, we'll just walk, spend the day outside and enjoying life. And so that's, those are the things I get the most excitement out of in October. If I could hazard a guess, I would imagine that Greg might be playing golf at least once or two, <laughs> two more times, or at least I know you'd like to. So is there, what are you looking forward to, Greg? Improving my golf score, <laughs> if I could. <laughs> I was pretty close, yeah, wasn't I? Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, as, as we're, we're going through October, like Halloween is coming up and, and all the activities surrounding that and, and looking you know, just seeing uh, James Day is posting a bunch of different things, uh, oh, activities, cool. uh, you know, for the Haunted Woods. There's uh, the Haunted Woods is making its return. There's going to be a Haunted Drive-By and then Haunted Mini Putt. Ooh. Uh, so so those are some, some right cool activities alley. and they're all being done as, as fundraisers for the food basket. Yeah. You know, so those are some some really cool things that, that you know, a, a lot of community members uh, will be able to get to see. Lots to look forward to in the month of October. And uh, I know that you, both of you guys have full to the brim schedule. So thanks for taking a few minutes to join me today, gentlemen. The pleasure. Yawagoa for listening. Stay up to date with all your Diwaze podcasts, including profiles, the cycle and front page by following the Yurdiwaze podcast channel on Apple, Spotify and Google. This project has been made possible by the Community Media Strategic Support Fund, offered jointly by Official Language Minority Community Media Consortium and the Government of Canada. Mm -hmm.